Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you are our shelter. Our shelter from our circumstances, our, our shelter from this world around us, our shelter from the storms of this life, and sometimes even a shelter from ourselves. Help us. Help us to run to you before we run to, to anyone or anything else. We pray now that you would visit with us. As we read and study your word, Lord, fill us. Comfort us and challenge us. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Even though everyone around him may think him extreme and can get tired of hearing about all his warnings for how to prepare for a disaster, it doesn't stop Bill Napier. Bill Napier never stops planning and preparing for natural disasters. A former Eagle Scout, Bill owns an engineering and construction management company, and he spends an amazing amount of time preparing to shelter from natural disasters. And he shares about it, and he writes guides and articles that cover everything, from insurance, to monitoring storms, to construction, to survival gear. See, Bill has the unique distinction of having survived two Category 5 hurricanes. He and his family survived Hurricane Harvey while living in a suburb of Houston in 2005. And then after moving to a suburb of New Orleans, he survived Hurricane Katrina in 2017. So I guess the lesson for us is don't move where <laughs> Bill Napier lives. He moved since uh, to Florida, so I think he'll be fine. <laughs> but his perspective is born from experience. And he practices an acronym that he made up, PEMA, P-E-M-A, Plan, Execute, Monitor, and Adjust. Know your shelter, he warns. Prepare your shelter. Know where you're going to go for protection. It's good advice, isn't it? Not just for natural disasters, but for the storms of life that inevitably come. And always when we least expect as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a unique shelter, don't we? An unfailing shelter we can go to. God himself is our shelter. And it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Psalm 91. Let's read it today. Open in your Bibles or look up at the video screens. Psalm 91, we're going to start in verse 2. I will say of the Lord... He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrows that fly by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command 
his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. What a passage. What a beautiful, soothing, encouraging, uplifting passage. The benefits of God's shelter are countless. In Him we find comfort. We find peace. We find protection. We find calm. The benefits of God's shelter are amazing. But we're not going to talk about the benefits of His shelter today. The attributes of God's shelter are equally endless. It's strong, impenetrable, sufficient, stable. It's permanent. The attributes of God's shelter are amazing. But we're not going to talk about the attributes of His shelter today. Today we're going to talk about one thing. We're going to focus on the requirements for being in God's shelter. And for that we look at verse 1, the very first verse of the chapter. It says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And it's repeated in verse 9. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the Most High your dwelling. That's the requirement. That's the bar for entry. So you can't expect the benefits of God's shelter, of His protection, if you don't follow the instructions for gaining access into His shelter. It's so typical of us as human beings though, right? We want that. I want all these benefits but, but I don't want to meet the requirements. Look, I want all the benefits of the diet. I want to lose weight, but I don't want to cut out any food. No, I want all the benefits of that workout routine, the muscles, the toning, but we're not talking about any exercise here, are we? I don't want to do that. It's, it's natural for us, right? Imagine these, these folks going through the hurricane now, Ian. Imagine losing your home and having severe flooding and, and you pick up the phone and you call Barb at State Farm. Say, State Farm, help. I need some money. My home is gone. And, and Barb would say, well, we'd love to help, but you've never called before. You're not one of our customers. You've never signed a contract. There's never been a transaction which placed you under the umbrella of State Farm. It doesn't work that way. I want to do what I want, and I want to live how I want. I want to go where I want, and I want to be found in places I shouldn't be, but I want God's protection. No, the benefits of God's shelter, all those wonderful attributes we read about, His strength and protection are for those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High. Those who make the Most High their dwelling. You can count on His benefits only if you dwell with Him. What does that mean? Dwelling with God. Well, to dwell is defined as to live in or at a specified place. Hey, I dwell with God. I'm here. 
I'm here. I come to church every Sunday. I dwell with God. No, that's not dwelling with God. That's visiting God. There's a big difference. Your dwelling place is far different than the places you visit, isn't it? So how do we define our dwelling? Well, as much as I disapprove of government defining anything for us, I do answer this question every tax season that the IRS asks on our tax returns. Whenever you try to write off your mortgage interest, you answer the question, is this your primary dwelling place? Yes, it's my home. Your dwelling place is your home. Well, we're quick to proclaim that we dwell with God, that God is our home, but how do we qualify that? Well, there are some unique attributes of home. We're going to look at them today. Our dwelling place. So, how do we qualify what is our home? First, the age-old adage. Home is where the the heart is. The older you get, the truer it becomes. So the question in respect to, to God's shelter is, does God have your heart? It's the gating question. I work in an organization that develops a lot of software. And we have developers that write many, many lines of code. And with every new line of code, it goes through a large pipeline of tests that it must pass to be merged into the final product. But there's a gate. There's a gate to enter that pipeline. The pipeline can't even get started unless some gating tests are passed. Sean knows what I'm talking about. It never makes it out the gate if it fails those gating tests. The gating test for dwelling with God is that question. Does God have my heart? It's the first question we must ask ourselves. I want all the benefits. I want all those wonderful attributes, the stability, the protection, the peace. Well, have you given Him your heart? Have you accepted the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ? who gave his life and died on Calvary's cross in your place for the forgiveness of your sins. You owed that debt. He paid it. Have you accepted him into your heart? It's the gating question. And beyond that, if you have, if you've given him your heart, have you given him first place in your heart? You've made him your Savior. Have you made him your Lord? Does he govern your actions your priorities, your thoughts, your passions, your perspectives. Colossians 3.2 instructs us, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Fix your minds and fix your hearts on the things of God. Focus on the things of God. Let that drive your decisions and your motivations and your actions. It's not always easy to do in this society that's constantly vying for our hearts, is it? Tony Ranke wisely observed, the human heart bends toward what the eye sees. And today's image makers fling into the world digital spectacles of sex, wealth, power, and popularity. And those images get inside us and shape us, and they form our lives in ways that compete with God's design for our focus and our worship. We need to make sure our hearts are driven by the right things, the right factors, that we're motivated by God's desires. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever, 
Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Amen. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God, for the cause of Christ. That's giving God your heart. That's giving God first place. Augustine suggested that to have a well-ordered heart is to love the right thing to the right degree in the right way with the right kind of love. Do we love God that way? Do we love God and the things of God to the degree that it drives what we do, what we think, how we act, how we react? I want God to have all of my heart. I want Him to have all of my loves and my passions and my motivations and all of my principles. And when He is Lord over all of these things, then He is Lord over my life. And I can truly say that God has my heart. If you are dwelling with God, he has your heart. Home is where the heart is. Second, home is where our investments are. Home is where you invest, right? First thing, you invest your time. You sleep there. You rest there. You eat there. You lounge there. You play there. You live there. Just the word home in its best definition holds so many memories and meanings for each one of us gathered here. That little word home conjures up warm memories of days gone by, of family and celebrations and hard work to keep households up and running and wonderful memories of holidays, birthdays, weddings, homecomings from college and war. Home is where we host the greatest events of our lives. You invest your time. Your time is firmly invested in your home. And what else? We invest our money, our resources, right? What do we do to our homes? We maintain, we repair, we upgrade, we remodel. We invest our money and our resources into our home because it matters to us. We care. You toil. You garden, you fix. Often we invest our own efforts, right? Our own talents. If you've ever been to Brad and Sherry's house, you'll see incredible examples of, of Brad's carpentry and his woodworking skills. He's a craftsman, and he invests his talents into his home, and he invests them as much into this church building. I can hardly find a spot I look that I don't see Brad's handiwork, but that's what we do when you have a talent like that. You invest it into something that that's worthwhile, that means something to you. We invest in our homes. We invest our time and our resources and our energy. We invest our talents into what we call home. Do we invest likewise for God? Do we invest of ourselves into the work of God? Or, or do we scatter our efforts among a myriad of causes and movements that will not make a difference in eternity. Look, it can happen easily. There, there's so many great causes we can get involved in. And they're worthwhile causes. But what happens is a small investment quickly turns into a larger and larger demand, and then a larger investment. And pretty soon, we don't know where our time is going. Sometimes we have to stop and reevaluate our priorities and reclaim our time. Carl Sandburg wisely wrote that time 
is the coin of your life. It is the only coin you have and only you can determine how it will be spent. Be careful lest you let other people spend it for you. We only have so much of it to invest, don't we? Let's invest it the right way for the right cause, for an eternal cause. Those benefits, that return is unimaginable. When we speak about an investment, it goes hand in hand with a return, right? An investment infers a return. We expect a return. When you invest in your home and you, you, you make an investment of money and resources and time, what do you expect? You expect your home value will increase. Well, when we invest our time and our resources and our efforts and our talents for the cause of Christ, the return is eternal and it's beyond our wildest imaginations. God will never leave himself indebted to you, friend. It always pays to serve the Lord. We may not always see it here. It may not pay off immediately, but in eternity, everyone who loved and served the Lord will be so glad they did. A missionary couple returned after many years of faithful service in Africa. And it so happened there was a very important diplomat who was also on the same ship. And when the ship arrived, the couple stood back and watched as the band played and the people had gathered and there was great applause and a huge banner that said, welcome home. And as the diplomat walked down the gangplank and was whisked off in a lovely limousine, the dear fellow missionary put his arm around his wife and he walked off with her. Honey, he said, just doesn't seem right that after all these years that we would have this kind of treatment and here this fellow gets welcomed home that way. She put her arms around her husband and said to him, but honey, we're not home yet. This isn't home. When you get discouraged and you're tempted to wonder if it really pays to serve the Lord, rest assured and remind yourself that when we get home, it will be worth it all. Home is where our investments are. If God is your home and you're dwelling with Him, He has your heart, your heart is there, and your investments are there. And lastly, home is where your support is. Your home contains those upon whom you rely most, those you look to for help, for support. Home is where family is, and family is the first support system in our lives, right? When we need comfort, when we need encouragement, we look to those we live with. It's a natural thing. It's usually our first move for help. If God is your home, do you turn to Him first when you need help? Or is He kind of a last resort when you've exhausted every possible solution and you've found none on your own? Time to pray. In an 1865 letter from William Sherman to Ulysses S. Grant, he wrote, I knew wherever I was that you thought of me. And if I ever got in a tight place, you would come. God thinks of us every hour of every day. And he never fails to show up. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 
139, 17 and 18, How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. You're constantly on his heart and on his mind. And unlike General Grant, who had limitations, God has no limitations. There will never be a time when he's unable to help. Too busy? Not capable? Never. The truth of the matter is we need help every day of our lives. I need help. You need help. And thank God we can come to him for help, any help we need. And we can know that he is always available to not only steer us in the right direction, but to provide every need we have every single day of our lives. God desires to be the first and only one we turn to when we need help. He's never failed us, and He never will. He cares about the smallest detail of our lives, and He cares about the biggest obstacles we face. If it matters to you, it matters to Him. There's no detail too small for Him to care about. No need, no desire, no trouble, no doubt, no fear. A construction crew was building a new road through a rural area, and they were knocking down trees as they progressed. And a superintendent noticed that in, in one tree, there was a nest of birds who couldn't yet fly. So he marked the tree, do not destroy, so that it wouldn't be cut down. Several weeks later, the superintendent returned to the tree, and he got into a bucket truck and was lifted up so that he could peer into the nest to see if it's all clear. Sure enough, the fledglings were gone, and they learned how to fly, and they left. And so the superintendent ordered the tree cut down. And as the tree came crashing to the ground and the empty nest fell clear, some of the material that the birds had gathered to make the nest was scattered about. And part of it was a scrap from a Sunday school pamphlet. And on the scrap of paper, he picked it up and he read the words, He careth for you. He cares for you. Matthew 6.26 says, Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? He cares for you. His faithfulness, friend, has no end. His providence knows no limits. Isn't that the resource you want to depend on? Not a last resort, but a first and only resort. Toby Mack said that God sends the storm to show that He is the only shelter. Does it mean we won't go through storms? No. Does it mean we'll be immune from trials and difficulties? It does not. But it does mean that we will have the strength that He provides. We will have the courage that He provides. We will have the peace that He gives us. That's what we find in His shelter. Run to Him. Does He have your dependence? Is He your first option for support? Perhaps uh, no one knew better of God's support than George Mueller. George Mueller built many orphanages at Ashley Down, England, and he never had a personal salary. 
He relied only on God to supply the money and food needed to support the hundreds of orphans that he took in, homeless kids. He took them in in the name of Christ. He was a man of radiant faith, and he kept a motto on his desk. And it read, it matters to him about you. It gave him strength. He believed those words captured the meaning of 1 Peter 5, 7. And he rested his claim for divine help on that truth. At the end of his life, he testified that never once had the Lord failed to supply every need he had. He will, and he does. Dependence on God. It's the greatest show of strength we can have, isn't it? That's so opposite. It's so opposite of what this world preaches. Every fiber of our culture is yelling at us to be independent. It's preached in every song, movie, movement, speech, social media. You don't need anyone to save you. You can do it. There's nothing you can't do. Just do it. We hear it all the time. And, and, and it sounds great, doesn't it? It's inspiring. Platitudes sound wonderful until reality sets in and you realize there's a lot of things you can't do. You can't comfort yourself when you've fallen into the depths of depression and despair. You can't manufacture a true friend or a true love. You can't cure yourself when the doctor says, it's terminal, I'm sorry, there's nothing more we can do. We need someone far greater than ourselves or, or, or the support of this world or the support of our friends or the support of our family. We need God. I, I don't want to be independent. And I certainly don't want to be dependent on this world. I don't even want to be dependent on those around me. I want to be dependent on God. Amen. And that's not weakness, friends. That's strength. Disregard what this world will tell you. There is no one more capable than he. Turn to him. For every need you have, in every storm you face, for every desire, he will always supply. He will always meet your needs. And he will sustain you through every circumstance of life. If you dwell with God, let him be your support. Run to Him first and run to Him only. Home is where the heart is. Home is where your investments are. And home is where your support is. If you want to enjoy all those benefits of God's shelter, you must dwell with Him. He must be your home. God must have your heart and your investments and your dependence. So give it to Him. Give Him your heart. Give him your focus and your passions and your emotions. Give him your time and your resources, all of your efforts and talents, and, and give him your reliance and dependence. His shelter is available to you every day of your life, every moment. Dwell with him, shelter in him, rely upon him. He never wavers and he never fails. Nothing else in your life can make that claim. Think about it. Something that will not fail you in your life. You won't find it. Not people, not loved ones, 
not heroes, not friends, because we are all human and we're all fallible. We all fail, but God does not. He cannot fail. He's true to his word and true to his character. He will never fail. He will never leave you. He will be by your side. And scriptures give us so many reasons why he will not fail. Look at these. First, he has promised never to leave you. He promised. Joshua 1.5, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He desires your fellowship. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He wants to be with you. His track record is impeccable. Numbers 23.19, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? He loves you and he won't forget about you. Ephesians 1.4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. You have been on his mind since the beginning of time. And he is not finished with you yet. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Isn't he worthy? Isn't he worthy of all our adoration and our praise? And isn't he worthy to be our dwelling place? He has not only provided you salvation from the penalty of sin, and he has not only provided you forgiveness for all the sins you've ever made, he has not only provided you an eternity in heaven with him forever, he has not only provided for every earthly need you have, but he has also provided you a shelter, a practical shelter of protection, peace, and stability for every day of our lives. Friend, where are you at today? Is God your home? Do you dwell with him? Or have you just been visiting? You can't expect to receive all those wonderful benefits if you don't meet his requirements. Do you long for the benefits of God's shelter? Have the storms of this life so tossed you about and left their mark on you? Have you exhausted your own resources, your own strength, your own solutions? It's not too late. Turn to him. Dwell with him. Make him your home. He offers a shelter of healing, refreshment, and protection. Give Him your heart. Open your heart today to Him. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, don't wait another moment. And dear believers, give Him your focus. Give Him your priority. Give Him first place in your heart. All of your time, your resources, your efforts. Invest in His work and for His causes and give him your dependence and reliance. Remove the crutches of this world. Run to him. Throw yourself upon his mercy and his strength. Dwell with him. Make him your home, friend, and find in him the shelter you so desperately long for. He's always there for you. He will never fail nor disappoint you. He's been waiting 
the early American Indians had a unique practice of training young braves. And on the night of a young tribal boy's 13th birthday, after learning hunting, scouting, and fishing skills, he was put to one final unique test. He was placed in a dense forest to spend the entire night alone. And until then, he had never been away from the protection of his family and, and his tribe. But on this night, he was blindfolded and taken several miles away. And when he took off the blindfold, he was in the middle of thick woods, and he was terrified. And every time a, a twig snapped, he visualized a wild animal ready to pounce. After what seemed like an eternity, dawn would finally break, and the first rays of sunlight would enter the interior of the forest. And looking around, the boy saw flowers and trees and the outline of the path back home. And then to his utter astonishment, he beheld the figure of a man standing just a few feet away, armed with a bow and arrow. It was his father. He had been there all night long. Friend, God has been there all along, waiting for you. Dwell with him. Make him your home and then enjoy the benefits of his wonderful, unmovable, impenetrable shelter. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the shelter of you. We're so thankful that in you we find protection and, and, and peace, comfort, healing, and stability. We know we're not immune to trials and storms, but in your presence, with you by our side, under your capable wings, we find our strength and courage. Help us to continually dwell with you, to give you our hearts, our focus, our time, our resources, our efforts, and our talents. Help us to rely on you and nothing else in this world. You are unfailing and you are infallible. Give us hearts for your kingdom, your work, for your people. Thank you for your unending care for us and for every detail of our lives. We love you. We love you and we thank you for your presence with us today. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.